0: Hello and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast. Brought to you by Biotechniques, this show brings you the latest from the frontiers of the life sciences, straight from the people exploring them. I'm your host, Biotechniques digital Editor, Tristan Free, and in this episode, supported by Zyma Research, we'll be looking into cell-free nucleic acids and their importance in liquid (coughs) biopsies finding out Excellent. what they can well, tell well, us I think about it's really a specific patient's condition and how they can be the analysed to increase rate. our understanding well, of the basic the biology of a certain disease. To explain the significance of these molecules is Ayla um, Mournigan-Peter, epigenetics at product specialist at a Research. Ayla, um, it's great to have you on the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Coming up, we discuss how the accurate analysis of these molecules can impact the treatment of cancer.
1: And again, in the case of cancer, it can also help guide therapeutic decisions. So based on the results we see from the liquid biopsy um, and the profile of these molecules, it can give clinicians insight into, for example, possible drug resistance, and then that can kind of change the treatment regimen accordingly.
0: Why CFNAs can be used as novel drug targets?
1: What is also very interesting about RNAs, specifically microRNAs, is because they've been shown to be able to influence gene expression in the tumor microenvironment, This also makes them a really strong therapeutic target, meaning we can target
0: these molecules as a therapy in itself. How epigenetic analysis of these molecules can impact diagnostics? DNA methylation is often tumour-specific,
1: which makes it great for early detection as well because it's such a robust and also stable marker.
0: And play a key role in tackling the organ shortage crisis.
1: Looking at, again, cell-free nucleic acid levels, researchers have found that they can predict the risk of transplant rejection by looking at these molecules.
0: So Ada, firstly, please can you explain what cell-free nucleic acids are?
1: Yeah, so kind of as their name implies, cell-free nucleic acids are DNA and different types of RNA that are found outside of a cell. So within bodily fluids like blood, saliva, urine, etc. They can be attached to proteins, they can be found in extracellular vesicles, or they can be free-floating. And these molecules can be produced through The results of different molecular processes, so cell death, meaning apoptosis or necrosis, but they can also be produced through active transport processes as well. And they've been studied really extensively and they're of interest to us for their potential as disease biomarkers, basically. So their role in disease, particularly cancer.
0: And so in that disease role, how do these molecules sort of tie into liquid biopsies?
1: So Liquid biopsy, as opposed to tissue biopsy, which is the more traditional method for diagnosing diseases like cancer, is when you sample a patient's blood or urine, et cetera, where these molecules are found, right? You can collect that sample relatively painlessly and repeatedly. So when you take a sample like this versus a tissue biopsy, you can then analyze it for these molecules, looking at their genetic and epigenetic profiles to give us some information about the specifics of the disease. So these different kinds of nucleic acids, DNA and RNA, are found in healthy patients' bodily fluids as well. But when a person is in a certain disease state or has a certain condition, the levels of the nucleic acid as well as their kind of molecular traits will change. And then we can analyze these to give us some information about the health of that individual.
0: So you mentioned the traits that you can detect there. What what kind of specifically can CFNAs tell us about disease?
1: So there are many different ways that they can be analyzed, but largely focusing on mutations, right, that are indicative of cancer. There are epigenetic markers like DNA methylation. So both genetic and epigenetic information. And these changes that we see in these nucleic acids as a result of disease states can give us uh, prognostic information, right? So how severe we expect the disease to progress, diagnostic information, right? So what is the exact condition? What is the exact type of cancer? And again, in the case of cancer, it can also help guide therapeutic decisions. So based on the results we see from the liquid biopsy and the profile of these molecules, it can give clinicians insight into for example, possible drug resistance. And then that can kind of change the treatment regimen accordingly.
0: And so in those molecules, what are some of the markers that you're specifically looking for within them?
1: So again, there are many different markers that you can look at, and they can often be used in a sort of combinatorial approach. So you're not always looking for just one, but again, DNA methylation profiles, mutations. So these can be a single nucleotide variance, copy number variation, as well as just the level of cell-free DNA. So just by quantifying the amount of these different molecules that can be used for screening and diagnostics. And then a new field that is developing is what some people refer to as fragmentomics. So looking at the fragmentation profile, meaning the different sizes of these molecules. And that can also interestingly give us insight into diagnosis and prognosis, you know, I've talked a lot about DNA so far, but of course there's also the other nucleic acid, RNA. So that in itself is a whole marker. So when I say RNAs, I mean microRNAs, long non-coding RNAs, things like that are very well studied. And the presence of these specific molecules, particular types of microRNAs, specific long non-coding RNAs are also used for screening applications for cancer and other diseases. And when you have Changes, again, in the levels of these molecules, that's been shown very strongly to correlate with disease. So also have diagnostic and prognostic applications there. And what is also very interesting about RNAs, specifically microRNAs, is because they've been shown to be able to influence gene expression in the tumor microenvironment, this also makes them a really strong therapeutic target, meaning we can target these molecules as a therapy in itself.
0: Excellent. So you've got DNA, you've got RNA, but then also epigenetics is kind of tied into this examination of CFNAs as well, isn't it? How does that play a role in diagnostics and liquid biopsy?
1: Yeah, definitely. Epigenetics has a huge role in liquid biopsy and it's really a budding field. And so for those who are maybe a little less familiar with epigenetics, I'll back up a little bit and kind of talk about the best studied epigenetic mark, which I've mentioned a couple of times already, and that's DNA methylation. So that's where a methyl group is added to the carbon 5 position in a cytosine. And in humans, this primarily occurs in a CPG dinucleotide context. And DNA methylation is important because it helps control gene expression, right? So typically, methylation of a gene promoter will decrease gene expression and, and vice versa. And in cancer, you often have abnormal DNA methylation profiles. So typically, you'll see hypomethylation, meaning decreased amounts of methylation of uh, particular oncogenic genes. So DNA methylation has been shown to therefore have a role in tumor genesis, tumor progression, et cetera. And it's a really robust and interesting marker to look at because in the cancer microenvironment, it's very heterogeneous, right? So the mutations that people are often looking at can be heterogeneous, meaning that not all the tumor cells within the tumor will have the exact same profile, but DNA methylation is often tumor specific, which makes it great for early detection as well, because it's such a robust and also stable marker. So it's not a transient species like RNA, right? Which will degrade very quickly. DNA methylation will be stable over time. So again, very useful for early detection of, of
0: different diseases. And once you've obtained your cell-free nucleic acids to analyze, what are some of the techniques that you'd be using to get that epigenetic information?
1: Yeah. So kind of depending on the nature of the study, right? So for a lot of the times for discovery-based studies where we're going for biomarker discovery, you know, trying to still figure out what we're looking for, you'll use high-throughput techniques, right? A variety of NGS techniques, so next-generation sequencing or microarray techniques, so Oftentimes you use whole genome sequencing, whole exome sequencing, of course, methylation sequencing, methylation microarrays. And then again, to look at RNA species, you would use things like RNA-seq. Once those markers have been identified, and let's say we're trying to translate this to the clinic, other assays, maybe low throughput is the best word, like PCR or digital PCR can also be used to then analyze those markers that have been identified.
0: And so you mentioned fragmentomics earlier, along with explaining that a little bit more, what's some of the latest developments in liquid biopsy techniques and their analysis?
1: Yeah. So when cell-free DNA is released from a cell, it can be sheared at different positions, right? Depending on the mechanism of the release. And then again, depending on the disease that, you know, whichever individual has. So for example, to also kind of jump into your question on the the latest techniques, there's this technique that came out from a group at Stanford called EpicSeq. And this is an example of using fragmentomics. So essentially, they hypothesized that different promoter regions, more or less active promoter regions, will have different fragmentation levels. And they use those differences in fragmentation to make inferences about gene expression in the disease. So inferences on gene expression for genes of interest, of course, right? Those that have implications for prognosis, diagnosis, et cetera. And they found very strong correlations between these fragment profiles and the expression of these genes of interest, as well as uh, disease burden, et cetera. And so they're working to expand this to different kinds of cancer. I believe that's in the proof of concept phase right now. So techniques like that. So kind of taking existing technologies and figuring out how to apply them to these new applications, right? As we discover these new features of cell-free nucleic acids and liquid biopsy, we kind of have to figure out, okay, how can we investigate this with the tools that we have now? How can we adapt them? And I believe it was the same group from Stanford as well that developed a technique called cap which I believe has since been commercialized by Roche. And- for that they were using an enrichment method that allowed us to target these mutations very specifically and at very low levels so it's a highly specific highly sensitive assay so again taking existing techniques and applying them in in new ways etc to detect these different kinds of biomarkers
0: fantastic and in some of the developments of liquid biopsies and the techniques around them what are some of the challenges that exist in this field at the moment
1: yeah that's a great question So, as exciting and as promising as this field is, it does face a lot of challenges. So, both analytical and pre analytical variables can have a huge impact on the results of liquid biopsy analyses. So, when I say pre analytical, I mean things like sample collection methods, extraction methods, et cetera, because currently there are no standardized protocols for these steps in the process. So, for biofluid collection and then for cell free nucleic acid purification. So, these steps are important because how those are done can affect the quality and then the yield of your nucleic acid, which of course will affect your downstream analysis. So most often the most common sample type used for liquid biopsy is plasma. So patient blood will be collected in the clinic or in the lab, et cetera, and it can be collected into a variety of devices. So there are many different blood collection tubes on the market and even some now that are coming out that are optimized for cell-free collection specifically. So the collection device is one pain point that can affect how the sample is stabilized, right? So therefore degradation, et cetera. And then sample processing time is going to be the next pain point, right? So once you collect the sample or the blood specifically, how long does that sample kind of hang out until it gets purified, et cetera? Again, which can contribute to degradation, et cetera. So you always want to minimize that. So either by freezing or using you know, a collection device that will preserve your sample as well as possible. So then you have, of course, the next step is moving on to extraction. You've got your sample, you've separated the plasma, now you want to extract your DNA or your RNA. And one thing that I don't think I've mentioned yet is sulfur nucleic acids are present in very, very, very small amounts in biofluids. So your extraction method really should be optimized to get as much material as possible, right? So we want to minimize degradation with collection and then get as much possible through extraction and of course have a pure sample following extraction. Then comes, you know, one of the very tricky parts is having an analytical method that's sensitive enough to detect your marker of interest, right? Because you have a limited amount of sample, and then within that sample, there are only going to be so many molecules that will show your biomarker of interest. So you have to have very sensitive techniques that can reliably detect the markers that you're looking for against potentially a large amount of background information. So that brings us into wet lab variables, right? So once the samples get to the lab, how are they processed example for NGS library preparation, for arrays, et cetera? So because of all of these issues already, so you know, pre-analytical before we even get to the analysis, a lot of liquid biopsy studies are not reproducible because there's this variation in techniques from lab to lab and clinic to clinic, and that ultimately will delay. You know, final assay development and bringing those assays to the clinic and to patients. So there's a really long road from the lab to the clinic, and then on top of that, once we get to the clinic, these assays can sometimes be very costly. Right? Implementing, for example, next generation sequencing in a diagnostic lab takes a lot of time. Right? Training is highly specialized technique, and then it's very costly. So it would be ideal, right, to have more, for lack of a better word, low tech techniques like PCR, again, that are more easily implemented in the clinic. So that translational step also is a bottleneck.
0: So we've got issues or challenges in how long things take, how expensive they are, the reproducibility. And so how is the field trying to adapt and to improve on those challenges and to make this basically something that's a lot more accessible to a lot more labs?
1: Yeah. So there are a lot of calls, Echoing for essentially what I've just said, which is standardization of sample collection and preservation protocols. So if we can have more universal protocols for those steps in liquid biopsy collection and purification, that would be a huge help. Just so, you know, everyone and all the researchers are on the same page as far as how we're best preserving the samples, et cetera. And then again, just also improving assay sensitivity. That's an ongoing struggle. So very extensive validation needs to be put into a lot of these more high throughput studies so that once they're ready to get to the clinic, the data is reliable. So very extensive validation steps there. And then again, kind of what I just touched on where how can we take techniques that are very complex, for example, like any NGS-based acid, and then make sure that again, we go through validation phase where we can translate that to a more low throughput method like PCR. So something like that is much more translational to the clinic. So again, standardization, just extensive validation, 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 and then translating those markers after the discovery phase into something more low tech that is adaptable to the clinic.
0: Fantastic. So, we've heard a lot about the applications of liquid biopsies and and CFNAs in kind of the diagnostic and a kind of more clinical setting. How can these molecules and and these techniques be used to help us discover a bit more about the basic research or the basic biology of different conditions?
1: Yeah. So, uh, certainly the, the main focus of liquid biopsy research is for diagnostics, but I will say they all kind of start as basic research studies. So, looking at what cellular processes are taking place during necrosis, for example, during tumor cell death, that to go back to fragmentomics, for example, that causes these molecules to have the genetic profile or epigenetic profile that they do. So before we can look at, you know, the significance of these molecules, understanding how they're produced in what conditions they're produced will really help us figure out where should we go next? What are the biomarkers of interest that we should be looking at by seeing, you know, how does disease states affect these cellular processes? Then that can give us insight into, you know, which markers are the most important. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah, I think that gives a pretty good explanation of the kind of things that you can find out from a basic research standpoint and how Mm -hmm. you'd be investigating these FNAs to see basically what they can reveal about different conditions. And so what are some of the most exciting recent findings that you've observed over the last kind of couple of years regarding CFNAs and their involvement in disease?
1: Yeah. So to me, I'm a little biased, you know, being involved in epigenetics, but there are a lot of clinical studies, right, that have really validated the importance of DNA methylation in liquid biopsy and in disease. And so these studies have allowed the commercialization of a lot of different cancer screening panels. So for example, the Garden 360 test, of course, the gallery test from Grail has been in the news a lot um, the last year or so. Exact Sciences has their array of oncotype tests. So just to name a few. And so I focused a lot today on oncology, but the applications of liquid biopsy go well beyond that, right? So it also has implications in other diseases and other conditions, So cell-free DNA has also been studied for its role in diabetes and stroke as a prognostic and diagnostic marker. And also in, let's see, I believe organ transplant, specifically kidney transplant, liver transplant rejection. So looking at, again, cell-free nucleic acid levels, researchers have found that they can predict the risk of transplant rejection by looking at these molecules. So I think that that is really exciting as well. Because again, as we learn more and more about the nature of these molecules, we can see how they relate to certain disease processes. And then finally, of course, very relevant for today's times is there's some new studies looking at cell-free DNA to identify and characterize tissue damage from COVID-19 patients. So by looking again at the DNA methylation profile of these molecules in COVID patients, you can identify the tissue of origin. So where the cell-free DNA came from which can tell us which tissues are being damaged, right? Because these molecules are often released in response to tissue damage. So overall, cell-free DNA levels have also been shown to correlate very strongly with COVID disease severity. So it can also be used as a prognostic marker. So it can tell us, you know, what's going on in the body as far as tissue damage, and then allow us to predict you know, how severe do we think this is going to be for this
0: patient? Excellent. Well, well, I think it's really fascinating that they are beginning to impact the transplant space. Obviously, the organ shortage crisis is a massive issue. And if clinicians are able to identify early that a patient may be um, at risk of rejecting their transplanted organ um, and can then treat them accordingly to prevent that, this could be a hugely helpful tool in combating that crisis and would also mean a huge amount to that patient. So if there was one thing that you could improve regarding either our understanding of CFNAs or our ability to analyze and get as much information as possible out of them, what would it be?
1: So I think it would be, there are many bottlenecks in the field like we've touched on today, but I think one of the biggest challenges, again, is going to be sample collection and purification, right? Making sure that you have a high quality sample for analysis is going to be the building block of any reproducible assay. So no matter your technique, no matter what marker you're looking at, making sure that you have a good sample is always crucial. So for example, at Zymo, we offer self DNA purification kits and we have an upcoming product that I'm really excited about and it's a magnet bead-based version. So this can be fully automated and having automation brought in kind of reduces some of that variability in extraction and results, et cetera. So helps make any downstream analysis more reproducible. So I think that that is kind of our biggest issue right now is making sure that we can improve the pre-analytical steps and implementing these standardized practices to make sure that, you know, again, we can trust the data that we get from all of our exciting biomarker discovery studies.
0: Excellent. Well, those are all of my questions, Isla. Is there anything else that you'd like to add?
1: Just that, you know, this is a really exciting time to be in the field of precision medicine. You know, I've heard researchers talk about it, you know, since I got started in the lab and I feel like it's really at our doorstep now, you know, as we see the commercialization of all these liquid biopsy tests. And I'm just super excited to continue working with our team at Zymo to help continue to produce these tools that allow researchers to make these amazing discoveries.
0: Excellent. Ayla, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Talking Techniques. If you're interested by the topics covered in the episode, you may want to check out our In Focus on Cell-Free nucleic Acids, sponsored by Zymo, over on www.biotechniques.com.